when we celebrated Christmas, it seems like moving quickly. Today's the 10th day. When we celebrated Christmas, there's one major question which was posed, who is he? Who is the Son of God? Who is he? We know the witness of the shepherds. We know the witness. We shall know the witness of the three magi, the wise men. We also know what has happened before the announcement, as we know of the Annunciation, the special revelation to Joseph, who is the one? He's the Son of God. He's the Son of the Most High. He's the one whose name shall be Jesus. Jesus means the one who saves. He's the Savior. That is his mission. Today we are invited to, to reflect and meditate on who is he when we honor him under his special and beautiful name of Jesus. Jesus. John the Baptist is giving us his witness today again. And what is he saying? First he says, the witness, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Who is he? He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We are reminded every time we celebrate Mass that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I know not only that, but it's not only he's the one, blessed are those who welcome him, blessed are those who receive him, blessed are those who partake of his divinity. And this is who is he, the Son of God. And here it is, John, John the Baptist continues to give witness. He says, I did not know him. I did not know him in his divinity. Yes, he knew him in a sense, but he did not really know who he was in his divine, in his by divine being. And he says, a man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Because he existed as a son of God. We know that John the Baptist was conceived earlier, and yet he understood. And then he continues, the reason, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel, a prophet before him. I send the prophet before him so he can announce, be announced. And so John the Baptist announces him. And John testified further saying, I saw the spirit come down like a dove from the sky and remain upon him. Even though I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water for the conversion of sins with water told me, on whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So he, John the Baptist received a special type of, of revelation as to who the one is to be. And, 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 and he says, now I have seen now I, and I am testifying, I'm testifying that he is the Son of God. So this is the witness. Who is this Jesus? Before his name, every knee shall bend or bow to the glory of God. He is the one. And then John the Evangelist today gives witness in the first reading. And he says the following, it's very simple way. 
see what the Father, see that what the love the Father has bestowed on us, that we may be called the children of God, and so we are. This is John, the evangelist, who realizes what Jesus brought, what he gave us, what he bestowed upon us, and he says this is what that love of God was given to us, Jesus himself, the love of God, the, the love of the Father, so that we may be able to be called children of God, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. We do know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we do not really know because we do not know the fullness of our life of glory. We do not grasp. We have some insights. We see how Jesus rose from the dead. We see him. That, that, that his body was able to move through material um, walls and things like that. Nothing would hold him back. He has the capacity, but, but, but then we don't really fully know because we have not experienced yet. But John says, but, but, but we do know that when he, he is, when, when everything is revealed to us, we shall be like him, and that's sufficient. We shall be like Jesus. We shall be like God. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that beautiful to hear? This is what shall we be. That's why we are to be the sons and daughters of God. We cannot fully grasp, and yet, as John says, but when the time comes, we shall, when we, this, this we know, we shall be like him. Everyone who has this hope on him makes himself pure as he is pure. Our confidence in him, our trust in him, are allowing God to be God within us, are, are allowing ourselves to live according to, to the commandments. We follow the commandments. And the one who loves him cannot sin. Only when we forget, when we start loving other things outside of God, when we become idolatrous, that's when we stop loving him. And that's when we sin. But when we really love him, we cannot, because if you love someone, you want to hurt that person. And how much more? We don't want to, in any way, live in a, in a way that, that is disrespectful to him who has loved us, is a God himself. So if there's any weakness, as, John, as Jesus spoke to Faustina, may, may only, the only weaknesses, the only sins that the Lord will kind of dismiss quickly is weaknesses, sins of weaknesses that we, don't, we can't because of our human nature, human condition. It does not count them. In the same way, only the sins of willfulness or willingness that I will to go against, because that means I have chosen someone or something to be more important than God himself. And so this is when, and this is why John says today that if that's the case, then we don't really love him. Anyone who commits sin commits lawlessness, and is a sin of lawlessness, but the reason is that no one remains in him no one who sins has seen him or known him, because it's impossible. <clears throat> so for John, these are some of the, says the criteria, both John the Baptist as a witness and John the Evangelist, who is reminding us how important it is to come to know him, love him, serve him in every way, because that's when we ennoble ourselves. This is when we receive the extraordinary graces, the happiness, the fulfillment, that which we desire and wish. 
obviously, as human beings, all of us are still weak and sinful, and yet this is what the Lord is, is reminding us. This is what he's giving us. But the second aspect today, tomorrow, as you know, is the, is the uh, funeral of Pope Benedict. And I'd like to just share some things with you about Pope Benedict. You know, sometimes we have the, uh, the images of Pope Benedict given to us by, by commentators, by news people, by all these things. And you know, you know, they wanted to create this concept that he's the German shepherd, you know, the Rottweiler or whatever it is, you know. All of those things do not apply to that person. He was born in 1927 in Germany, Bavaria, Catholic Bavaria. But he was also, um, being, being at seven years old, he wrote this beautiful letter to, to Jesus. Because, you know, uh, children today, you know, for us in the, in, the state, in the States, we believe in Santa Claus. But Catholic traditions, in, especially in Central Europe, even Germany, was that it wasn't Santa Claus was bringing on Christmas, but gifts from Jesus. And Santa Claus was on uh, December 6th, so he'd receive gifts December 6th, and then you see special gifts from Jesus. And I have to say that he wrote this letter, which is a very nice little, you know, beautiful letter. Uh, you, know, you know, it's hard to believe that he would write this. I hope I wrote, I took it here. But at any rate, what he says, dear Jesus, you know, he's asking for special gifts. And one of the gifts he's asking Jesus for is a green vestment of a priest. Because he as a, and his brother were celebrating like, you know, his children do masses at the age of seven. And so this is what he's asking Jesus for, you know, a vestment, a green vestment, not any vestment, but a green vestment for ordinary time. And, and because he knows that green is the one that seems to be uh, the one that's the longest. But at any rate, it, it's kind of interesting in his mind of this seven-year-old boy writing a letter to Jesus and, and requesting that. Uh, now, he was born in 1927. Um, you know, he lived during the time of Nazis. Uh, the father wanted to pull him away from the area where they were into a small place uh, just to protect them from being forced into joining the Hitlerjugend, which was a very um, uh, kind of terrible organization because the, these, these young people were, I mean, these children, literally young people, were forced to, to, uh, to use all kinds of violent means uh, to be future Gestapo, as you know, so experimenting on, on animals, things like that, very violent. Ultimately, he was he entered a seminary, but he was still drafted into a German army, uh, into Air Corps. But uh, he escaped. Uh, later on, he uh, was a prisoner of war with uh, the Americans. Um, but uh, he quickly resumed the, his uh, his uh, study for the priesthood, together with his brother, and they were ordained priests, both of them, 1951. But then uh, he became professor, uh, in a brilliant mind, uh, became professor at the age of 30, 
full professor already, not just you know doctorate, but full professor, which is in in Europe especially, uh, in uh, Germany, it's a very very high level of of um, of, uh, of scholarship and publications and everything else. You have to have the whole full scope before you become full professor. So he was full professor by the age of 30, which is very high, high recognition in German educational system. By the age of 40, he became bishop, and then uh, archbishop by the age of 54, uh, became cardinal. I'm sorry, age of 47, became cardinal, and by the age of 54, he became a prefect of the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, John Paul II chose him, and then he remained in that position for 23 years. Um, the, um, the extraordinary guidance that he provided, uh, he wanted to quit the job three times. John Paul would not release him. Uh, that was one of those things, but the infidelity, because he wanted to write, he wanted to write, as you know, he wrote brilliant books. Uh, as the um, as a professor, you know, the introduction to Christianity and eschatology and on, on, on all kinds of issues which were very, very important. He was a participant in Vatican II as a young priest, also a recognition to his brilliance. Uh, but there's something special here from when we became the prefect of the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. Uh, for us, he was very, very important because of the approvals. You know, as you know, John Paul initiated uh, and, and asked for the approval of the Divine Mercy Sunday, which was in 1994. It had to be approved by Cardinal Ratzinger, who would do all kinds of, of the research. He was not one of those that rubber stamped anything. And, and so, having Pope Ratzinger at that, I'm sorry, Cardinal Ratzinger at that time to be part and parcel of the doctrine of faith was very, very important. Eventually, as you know, his desire to leave the, the prefecture of the Sacred Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith was that he would write the books. But as you know, what happened to him when he became Pope, not only was he able to write things, but now billions of people are reading, not only theologians, because if you're a great theologian, you may get a couple thousand people who read it, make comments and great things. But the Lord, by his fidelity to John Paul, wishing to fulfill John Paul's desire and, 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 and to keep him in that position, he became Pope. He became Pope because everybody came to know him. And not only that, but then once he became Pope, look what he wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, you know, the incredible book. And then his, this famous, famous, uh, you know, encyclicals. Deus as caritas, God is, is love. God is mercy, God is love. And this is what, you know, some people were commenting, that love and mercy in that Deus as caritas. Everybody was shocked when he wrote that encyclical because, you know, we had this image based on, on, the, um, on, on the media that he's this Rottweiler, is this German shepherd, is, you know, whatever it's called, this angry old man, you know. And he writes a book, a first encyclical, God is love. <laughs> you know, it shocked everybody because that's what, who he was. And, you know, and I had the privilege of knowing him as a cardinal. I did meet him, uh, and I, it was always was a meek man, very faithful man. It was someone 
super unusually special, you know, to, to meet. You know, everybody who kind of considered him something else, it was a lie, and, and so therefore we could not accept it. Now, the second thing, he also wrote on hope, on hope and redefining the hope as the anticipation of that which has been prepared for us by God. Not wishful thinking as many would wish to say, okay, what is hope? Hope is that which God has already prepared for us and is waiting for us. Eternity is waiting for us. That's what hope is. It's not something that, you know, I wish that something would come. No, for those who believe, for those who love, it's already there. We anticipate. It's an anticipatory gift that God has already given to us, and that's why hope can give us, give us this type of uh, uh, comfort of knowing who we are, where we shall be, what we shall receive. And this is Pope Benedict in a special way, writing on hope. And as you know, that he wanted to, uh, to write the third one because he wanted to do it. And so he wrote the third one, 80% of it, he wrote it and gave it to Pope Francis, and then was on faith, on faith. So he made sure that he wrote on the three theological virtues. So this is what we have. Now, the last thing I would like to share is that his role in promoting divine mercy. And this is where he was, he was really truly special for us. Right from the beginning, before he became even Pope, he spoke beautifully on the significance of mercy and, and on the significance, speaking of that nucleus of the gospel itself. He gave witness to John Paul, and he says, he says it is through him, through him that he began to see how important that mercy of God was, how, how it is it's not just something secondary as a devotion, it's not secondary, and for him to say that as a great theologian, he understood John Paul, he understood that both the encyclical, he understood, and he understood that, that for John Paul and also for us too, as faithful Christians, as Catholics, mercy of God is the very nucleus of the gospel. Is not secondary, some form of secondary devotion is at the heart of who we are as Christians. This is what, what Pope Benedict did. He re-emphasized and he solidified the, uh, the whole uh, devotion and the whole message of divine mercy and the celebration of divine mercy Sundays because some were saying, well, John Paul, yeah, he was supporting it. Yes, it was his personal devotion. But for Pope Benedict, he made sure that the church understood that as the gift for the universal church. And there's a number of quotes. I don't have time right now because this mass would be much longer and maybe this should be a, one of those Saturday talks, but you know, where we have plenty of time like Chris has you know, opportunity to develop the full theme. But at any rate, you know, uh, uh, one of our editors of the Marian Helper magazine, David Kame, wrote a book, Divine Mercy Mandate of Pope Benedict XVI, Divine Mercy Mandates. It's a book whereby we tried to summarize, and he tried to summarize the significance of divine mercy in the life of Pope Benedict and, and the mandate he gave it to the church, a mandate that he gave. 
And there's a second book, which was also written by one of our guys, Robert Sackpole from Genesis to Benedict XVI. He also included that whole message of mercy throughout the church from Genesis, you know, the, the books of the Bible, all the way to Pope Benedict, who uh, was a witness and gave witness to mercy. Now, also the, you know, that which he gave to us uh, as Marians, not only the witness that he provided, but, but for us, he supported us right from the beginning when we initiated the Con World Apostolic Congress on Mercy. In 2005, you know, there was a special gathering of those devotees and theologians of Divine Mercy in Krakow, in Krakow Bagevniki, this was in 2005, and one of the French businessmen, an incredible man, man of, was part of the Missionaries of Mercy, he proposed to all of us a layman. He says, you know, I think the world could use Congress of Mercy, International Congress of Mercy, and just, just, just that. And, and of course, Pope uh, uh, Cardinal uh, Schonborn at that time, he said, well, we can't do it. If we want to have a universal one, we have to talk to the Holy Father, Pope Benedict, whether he would wish to have it. And he says, so please don't talk about it until we secure the support of Pope, uh, Fra uh, Pope Benedict. And, and so it happened in 2000, you know, soon in 2006, soon after that, a couple months later, Colonel Schoenburn came and he said, yes, Holy Father fully supports it. And so guess when we began this Congress uh, on, the, on the day and the anniversary of Pope John Paul II's uh, passing away, it was the third anniversary of his death on the 2nd of uh, April, and, and then he was the one, Pope Benedict initiated with the, Holy, with the celebration of a Holy Mass. And we had like over 100,000 people, maybe, maybe 200, I do not know exactly the number. It was a beautiful celebration, the beginning of the World Apostolic Congress on Mercy. And we as Marians have been involved, my personally as well. Uh, and, and so, and as you know, we already celebrated four, now the fifth one is coming up but it was the full support of Pope Benedict for that. And, and he gave several talks on that, including on the, on the, at the beginning of the, of the World Apostolic Congress on Mercy, and he spoke to us of the importance of that message for the world today. Because what, 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 what is at the, uh, the goal is that, as you know, divine mercy limits evil, limits evil, because the Lord himself takes the wounds, the shots of evil, and, and he takes it upon himself. This is why on the cross he embraced all the evil. And so the evil is no longer passed on, but is, 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 is contained. And he, the Lord gives, takes upon the evil upon himself, and he offers to us mercy and love and healing, strength. That's, that's a message. And so Pope Benedict underscored that aspect because, you know, John Paul himself mentioned it, but, but the two of them, when it comes to divine mercy, they were like hand in hand because they were on the same wavelength of knowledge, of understanding of both scripture, theology, and the implications of this message for the world today. So we want to thank God for the gift of life of Pope Benedict. We know that he already shares 
in the life of glory. He was a man of faith. We love the Lord. I think that we have this incredible gift of these popes, which are saints in 20th century and 21st. I mean, all of them, almost all of them. How many? Never, except for the early church of Church of the Martyrs. We had so many saints, saintly popes. This is what God gives. Well, evil seems to be gaining ground. The grace is ever stronger. The grace of mercy is ever stronger. So that's why we don't have to be afraid. Yes, there's all kinds of evil, but yet God is God. God will never abandon us. God never will never uh, just leave us untended. He'll always be there. And the, the more evil, the more sinfulness there is, and there is. People don't go to confession anymore. People don't consider sinner anymore. The people do not, you know, accept, you know, you know, one another, you know, with a sense of brothers and sisters. Yes, that's the intensification. But where evil rises, there's great, greater and greater suffering. And so the Lord does not want that. He wants us to come back to Him, and be having people like saintly people. You know, Pope John the 23rd, Pope Paul the 6th, John Paul the 2nd, you know, uh, uh, and who knows, you know, now even John Paul I is considered as well, and maybe, maybe Benedict as well, as well. These are incredible, extraordinary people. I should be, you should not be canonizing anyone before the church does, but we have insights into people, and because the Lord has provided us with the knowledge and the, and it is so. May we today, as we continue the sacred liturgy, where Jesus himself comes to us, his holy name, we can always call upon him, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, be with me. Jesus, help my family. Jesus, you're the only love I know that, that I cannot even grasp, but I know that the Father's love is in you. In his name, we have redemption. In his name, we have Eucharist. And he comes to us. So may this Eucharistic celebration today be of great value for us spiritually. And may we um, come to know him more and more, love him more and more, so that we may share eternal happiness in paradise. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. 
That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.